0: Hi everybody, it's Paul. Uh, My friend Bob Prater is, when I say my friend, he's probably one of my best friends in the world right now. Somebody that I lean on a lot to encourage me and to check me, uh, to tell me when I'm losing it a little bit or getting a little mean or, or having a pity party, he calls me out of it. He's just one of those guys that's good to have in your life that you trust to tell you the truth when you do something wrong and when you do something right. And he and I talk pretty much every Tuesday uh, and set aside time just to get caught up with each other and to kind of search what God's doing in our lives, what our spiritual lives look like, what our faith lives look like. And we've kind of been thinking, you know, these are pretty good conversations we're having. Maybe we need to do these recorded and put them out as a podcast. So we we thought we would do that this week. And both of us watched the president visit a church that we love over the weekend. Both of us are former professional ministers who love evangelical churches and the people who run them and are heartbroken at what we see going on in them today. Why? Now, let me get you to the conversation, and you can find out why. By the way, if you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you join our Patreon community. The Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon community can be found if you go to the website npepodcast.com, click that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, and you can join in on our uh, inside community where we give gifts, we talk to each other about things, and and we just are living life together through the middle of COVID and election and everything else. And I would love to have you join. And it does have a very small cost to help us offset the cost of the podcast and the equipment and the help we have on social media and all those things. So I'd love for you to join. The website's npepodcast.com. Click on the Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner and come join us. All right, to my conversation with Bob and our concern about what's going on in the evangelical church and a whole lot more in our Tuesday conversation on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical, where we're challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. So we are two weeks away, exactly, from the election of President of the United States, many Senate positions, and of course the House How are you feeling two weeks out from this election? How are you feeling about us as a culture and what is to come on 11-3 and post-11-3?
1: All right. I will take those one at a time. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for the setup, Paul.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: How am I feeling? I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by... Both sides. It it, it is just uh, the only word I can really properly use is insane. It's it's insanity what's happening right now. As I think the church during this pandemic has been unmasked for who she really is these days. Wow. We're seeing her we're seeing her true colors. And trust me, it's nothing new. It's just exacerbated by circumstance. Circumstances always reveal character. And so here we are with these circumstances, and we're seeing the character of the modern-day church. And it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty.
0: How would you Um, characterize that character?
1: Arrogant. Selfish. It can all be it can all be wrapped up in one one word, which is narcissism. We are experiencing, we are witnessing in real time, a church. There's an entire there's an entire world that is hungering for an authentic encounter with the God of creation, and here's a church that can't stop gazing at its reflection in the mirror hmm. and primping and fixing its hair and. How do I look and how how am I looking? Uh, How's my connection to the political power today? Am I still plugged in? It's where we are, Paul, and it's Mm. where we are. without any reservation, we have sold part of our soul. Well, a large part of it for power and uh, Meanwhile, there's that hurting world that really wants authenticity. And instead, we're just going to say, if you don't vote this way, you might be in danger of hell if you don't vote this way. So there's
0: question one. Question two. Let me ask you one thing on that before you go to question okay, two. Okay,
1: weirdo. Go ahead. Do you,
0: do you, do you think the average church goer who is in the right-wing evangelical church, as I like to call it, and who believes that's what they are supposed to be? Are they narcissistic or are they misled? They are or, misled. Okay. They are misled. You didn't even add. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah,
1: no. I the people, the people that so occupy, you're talking about leadership of the church. I'm talking about leadership, and unfortunately, there we are in a, a season of being browbeaten by those leaders as many of them. And I can tell you some of their names. One is named Cheon, another is named Dutch sheets. Another is named Lance Walnow. Now uh, these are all people that you and I are very familiar with. Yeah. And then uh, John
0: MacArthur,
1: John MacArthur is another one, but there's a couple of those names I mentioned where they are literally saying, if you do not Mario Murillo, if you do not vote for Donald Trump and, and Mike Pence, you are in danger of going to hell. When you have leaders who have been respected for as many years as those names, those men have been saying things like that to the average believer who just wants to love God and love people, there's such a high respect level that it causes them to fearfully fall in line, even if it's what they don't believe. Because, you know, because my leader said it. So it must be true. This is the man of God or the woman of God. They're completely connected. And yeah, the church is sick, man. The church is sick and rotten to its core. We have, we have in real time, over time, watched this metamorphosis from something that used to be pure. And, uh, you know, the, the pure undefiled religion to proximity to power is everything. Or abortion is everything. Uh, we, yeah. you know, because of abortion, I have to vote a certain way, or because I don't believe in, in uh, people coming into this country any other way, but through whatever way, because of borders, because of gay marriage, because of picking,
0: right. It, and it, Because it God cares about those issues so much, any means necessary to get to that end is okay. He will wink at any malfeasance we do to get there. Yeah. And since it's a two-party system, this is what I see is a two-party system. Then we're like, okay, the Republicans have to win and we have to be all in on everything that it means to be Republican. And what that has come to mean is things that I don't think resemble Jesus in the Bible. And, and we're like, it's, it's okay because it's Republican. God's going to be okay with it because Republicans are going to get us to that good end of criminalizing that woman who decides to have an abortion. That's our goal beyond anything else is making sure she goes to prison for making that decision or her doctor goes to prison for making that decision. And I like, people are saying I'm pro-life. I like to say, no, you're for criminalizing human beings. You want to criminalize a woman making this decision. You want to, and yes, you can say it's out of the best of your heart, but let's be honest about what you're going to do. Are you good with seeing doctors and women going to prison for making a choice to have an abortion? Now,
1: Uh, The audience is going to enjoy this. They're just going to enjoy this because lo and behold, you and I don't, we're not in lockstep on abortion. And you know that I, I am fairly anti abortion and I'm okay with it being illegal. I really am, but I'm not okay with the way the Republicans have treated it as red meat for their base every four years to get reelected on. It is so disingenuous. Ronald Reagan, had the court and he had Congress. He could have done it. Didn't do it. Gee, I wonder why. Bush senior had the court, had Congress, could have done it. Didn't do it. And again, I have to openly wonder why the hell not. Why didn't they? GW had both both houses of Congress. He did. I'm telling you, there have been opportunities to take this on. And they have not done it. Be- and there's a reason for that. I just want people to pull the blinders off their eyes. Take a look at this. Just let me do this real. Whoops, I didn't mean to stop my video. <laughs> I need people to take this off. You ready? Yep. Don't have this <laughs> on anymore. Don't, don't have these on. No, I don't, I don't want that anymore. Take those off.
0: Because you're learning to use the filters. I like it.
1: <laughs> so we take these things off and we see things for what they really are. So when I see, when I and you're see. You're right.
0: I- immigration is another issue that neither side wants to resolve because it's no, too good of a, of a political is issue. for Red meat. And
1: I need the church to stop being so gullible yeah. and thinking this is it. And, but you said this is it 30 years ago. You said this is it 20 years ago. Guys, when are you going to wake up and realize these are not godly men? They're just not. These are men who are thirsty for power, and we have a church that has that same thirst. Remember, this is a church that gazes at itself and, and marvels at its loveliness, and we get lovelier the closer we get to power. I. I think Billy Graham was a good man. I do. Yeah. Uh, but I think some things started getting screwed up when he started hanging out with presidents. And I understand trying to affect the culture and top down and all these things. And Lance Wallnow and Johnny Enlow and these guys that are Seven Mountains guys that believe that's how things work. Oh, you got to show me a scripture where that is, by the way, because I've never seen it. I've never seen where we were called to, to travel up at whatever cost up the ladder and then dominate from the top down. Yeah. Jesus came from the bottom up. And so that's, if that's what Jesus did, that's what we have to do. I just get so tired of the rhetoric, Paul.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we saw Donald Trump visit uh, the international church of Las Vegas over the weekend And uh, that's that's the the head of that church is a guy named Paul Goulet, whose teachings have had a big impact on my life and my wife's life. And I've been trying to process through why was I so horrified by what I saw around the president's visit there this weekend. For one, in the, the stream of churches that you and I have been around, having worship flags is a big deal. People swing their flags around in worship and, uh, and to make a, a sense of spirituality. And those flags at that service at the International Church of Vegas on Sunday, American flags,
1: American flags. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of your country. I have loved being American my whole life. But if that becomes your your spiritual identity, I think that's the definition of idolatry, isn't it? That it, an, it is an American
1: flag. A, I'm gonna tell you, an American flag does not belong in a church. It I just agree. doesn't because there
0: That's not us hating America. No, it's that's not. not us being unpatriotic. The church should be above its nationalism. The
1: church does not mix with empire. The church yeah. does not bow to Caesar that way. We just don't.
0: Yeah. Because once it happens. Yeah. Like I said, noticed we, that, man, I saw, things those happen.
1: I saw those flags waving and I thought, Oh, Whoa. Cause like you, I've been impacted by Paul Goulet over the yeah. years. There are stories that I can tell you of things that, that I've heard that have happened there that are ridiculous. But then again, we're watching stuff happen up at Bethel, dude. Yeah. And that was our jam back in the day. That was our stream. And I know that not everybody's on the same page up there, but when you see, I've been naming names, so you're not going to get in trouble. But when, <laughs> when I see names like Danny Silk completely in the tank for QAnon.
0: Wow. that's, that's, that's You wild do not too. know
1: what spirit you're of, Danny, when you do these things. I mean, I my gosh! I don't. Are you serious? It. When I yeah. see this, when I see this thing from Benny Johnson, who is Bill Johnson's wife, about masks, she's done the research, and scientifically, masks
0: <laughs> don't work. <laughs> really, when, when you, whenever Johnson. you see anybody say on social media, do your research. Don't you just get the sense they're uh, saying, uh, "Watch, uh, Fox, uh, News. Uh, watch uh, Fox News, watch uh, Fox News, read QAnon, this is go to new, OANN."
1: Uh, this is. This is in line with Donald Trump yesterday <laughs> saying he's over Dr. Fauci and calling him. He called him some names yesterday.
0: How oh, did you see Fauci on 60 minutes? I did. Um, yeah. And saying death threats. He, ha- he has to have a security detail now because right. he's getting crazy? very credible death threats.
1: And, and we have a president saying, go ahead and elect Joe Biden. He's going to listen to the scientists. I didn't yeah. listen to the scientists.
0: As a and mock.
1: Yeah. And he's saying and it's cheering. a good thing that he didn't listen. Yeah. We would be done or at least close to being done if he had listened. And he- here we are. I didn't and, want to and- have this kind of a session with you.
0: <laughs> this is, I think this is what's important because I, I so I, this is something I've seen on social media a lot. The last couple of weeks, I, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I'm voting policy. I, I I know he's rough. I know, he, but I'm voting the policy that best lines up with my Christian ideals. And then they'll list the right-wing partisan uh, things. Wayne Grudem, who is another guy that I think is an amazing theologian, has written the longest defense of voting for Donald Trump you've ever seen. And all of it is completely Republican partisan, what Republican is today, not what Republican means to me as not a long life lifelong Republican. But it's all those same talking points. And so how do, how do we answer that to our Christian friends who are saying, why well, they're trying to justify their vote for Trump, saying, I, I'm not voting for the man. I'm uncomfortable with the man, but I'm voting policy that matches my religious beliefs.
1: I'm losing patience.
0: Me too. I'm, I'm tired patience. of playing that, games. That's where I'm the tired that's where, of false equivocation. Yeah,
1: that's where I am. I'm losing patience with, let me just say it, with simple mindedness that cannot add two and two and cannot figure things out. I'm really losing patience. I think process matters to God. If process didn't matter, then why in the world? the children of Israel go around in the desert for 40 freaking years when they, why didn't he just let them walk right into the promised land? Well, they went over and they dishonored him by saying, we can't do it. And so for 40 years and not a single one of them who went into the desert crossed over uh, with the exception of Joshua, Caleb and their families, the Mm -hmm. end, and then everybody 40 years and younger. So, Process matters. All the, you, that's just one example. You can pull out 50 examples out of Scripture of the Lord carrying. Nadab and Abihu tried to put strange fire on the altar and paid a bit of a price, you know? Yep. You got Ananias and Sapphira who, who lied about whether or not they sold a, a piece of property or not and what they did with the money and were struck dead because process matters we can't just say abortion abortion and it's got to be abolished and so we must put up with the rough edges the rough, let's call the rough edges what they are Polly. it is 100 percent evil it is evil that oh, has entered our country that's a
0: good word i was going to say the rough edges are he's an asshole <laughs> well,
1: sorry
0: you went more spiritual than well, i did all sure,
1: right sure sure <laughs> There is a spirit of (laughs) evil that has overtaken our country that has overtaken the world a bit. And when I look at the life of Jesus and how he did, um, it was kenosis from the very beginning to the very end. And that kenosis is the pouring out the emptying of ourselves for one another, emptying ourselves for one another. And uh, this is, Donald Trump called it character counts week. Did you see this?
0: No, I didn't.
1: That's that's a hoot. Three days ago. Oh, he didn't come within a hundred yards of writing this tweet. If he had, (laughs) he would have spontaneously combusted because he said it's character counts week. I, I could find it and read it to you, but it's character counts week. So let's be kind to one another. Let's love one another. Oh my gosh. And meanwhile, he goes out this, the very same day and leads a crowd and lock her up. Yeah, over, uh, Gretchen Whitmer,
0: the Michigan governor, the Michigan yeah. governor, lock her up. Who, after by she, the way, just days after she had her life threatened and her family uh, a plot to kidnap her. Oh, jeez. So, to me, character and knows that kind. stuff doesn't matter to us anymore. No, That's but it has to to me. The, the
1: fact that we are willing to overlook to get what we want. You got to tell me how that's different from Esau. You got to explain how that's different from what Esau did with Jacob, where he was just wanted something so badly that he was willing to give up everything for it. Uh, We want abortion to be illegal so badly. And trust me, guys, I am anti abortion, especially as birth control. I just am. I'm not going to judge anybody who's had an abortion. I know people who have, but that's my heart. I, I, I don't like I don't
0: like things to die. Yeah. Well, and, and I agree with you. I don't there's nobody there a fraction of a fraction right. of percent of Americans who are for abortion and who right. think it's a victory. So let's let's put that away right off the bat. Yeah. And I I think God has better ways to do things than passing laws on people's heads. Mm-hmm. That's my crazy idea. And, <laughs> and ways that don't make us the most divisive, most angry, most name-calling people. I, I, I do, my philosophy on it always goes back to Jesus saying, you've heard it say, don't murder. But I say, if you're angry at people, you're the one deserving of hellfire. If you call your brother a fool, right. you're the one deserving. So I think if you're the one calling Joe Biden or Barack Obama, a baby murderer, as friends and relatives of mine have, you're the one deserving of hellfire, according to Jesus. And I think if we took that vantage point, we might look at these things differently. And we might actually be able to solve the issue of abortion through other means. That's where I
1: come into it. I really wish that there could be some kind of a forum or a platform for you to really speak your mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just, but the just thing is, like, like you say, I think the the true desire for something righteous to not have abortions, which I agree is a righteous heart pursuit, has given us to a place where I do think now Christians they say they're uncomfortable with Trump, but we really like it. We really like it. Oh,
1: he, because he's our bully. <laughs> Yeah, We we don't mind bullies when they're on our side. And so he can go somewhere and say, God damn. Or he can go somewhere and call somebody an asshole or drop an F-bomb or whatever he wants to do and disparage people. But he's doing it for us so that we can have, because (laughs) God and the church depend on Donald Trump. He's tweeted it. He calls himself the chosen one. Yeah. He has tweeted that uh, if you want, I, I want more of God. You want more of God? Vote Trump.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I just saw a friend of mine uh, post today. King David was rough around the edges. Now, what we totally intellectually dishonestly are not sharing in that comment is King David was always repentant when, mm-hmm. when he, he made a mistake he refused to kill Saul. He, he was guilty of cutting his robe, cutting Saul's robe. He mourned, mourned when he found out he was the guy that had stolen the lamb in the case of Bathsheba and cheating her husband with her sexually. And then when the child died, he said, that's God's justice. I don't see any of that in Donald Trump at all. And in fact, he himself has said, I don't need to repent. I have nothing to repent for. And I, and I go to King Herod was a terrible guy, and the Sadducees liked him being a terrible guy. And Jesus said, that Herod who thinks he's a really big dude, he's actually just a little teeny fox, not worthy of my time. So it's just what I see in the Bible of Jesus' interaction, of God's interaction with humanity there's none of that says says it's okay, but we we're, so we're seeing a generation of boomers saying, "Hey, this is our last hurrah. Donald Trump is our last ability to be in power before we exit this place." You and I were having a conversation earlier. I do believe that the boomers are a generation that will go down in history as a generation that that just didn't care about future generations. That they I call them a King Hezekiah generation. Just we're so happy that our sins are going to be visited on our kids. And I get that's a blanket statement, but, but I think how the Bible dealt with generations. But, but sure. you had a thought about why, why the boomers maybe are yeah. what they are today.
1: Yeah, I do have some thoughts on that. That's my generation, by the way. I was born in the mid fifties. So I'm smack dab in the middle of the boomer generation. I think that if you go two generations back from me, you have young men being sent off to war in World War One for a very just cause and a just war, and then if you go one generation back, still a, me,
0: war, it, still a horrifying war, but still a
1: horrifying war.
0: But we could you know, justify being there, yeah. Yes,
1: and you go one generation back, and my gosh, it's World War Two, the Greatest Generation defeated Hitler, and so you've got these, you've got these generations that were united in that way towards really just causes. And then you have my generation where the big calling card of my generation is Vietnam, a war that nobody really understood. Nobody knew why we were there other than communism, bad communism used to be like abortion, by the way. Yeah. And so just (laughs) FYI, Um, that's a
0: good point. That's a very good point. (laughs) So, like socialism now, you can just say socialism. And people uh, like, socialism, oh God, socialism
1: is the same. yeah, somehow socialism is now communism. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the same as abortion. So I, I began to examine the Vietnam War. And not only was it a brutal conflict oh where, where quite a few people died, but when they came back, they didn't come back to accolades like the other two generations did they came back to being spit on and unable to find jobs. And all the things that, that happened to them in the early 70s and mid 70s, when all of that began to stop. And so I think there was such a disenchantment. I remember Francis Schaefer once said that the hippie movement, see, my generation was the first one to rise up yep. and say, just because you've done it this way doesn't. It's the right way to go, and we stood up for some righteous things. We we really did. We were anti-war. We were pro-women. We were we. It's just the way it went until one day it didn't go that way anymore. Because Francis Schaeffer noted in one of his one of his verbal things, I don't think he wrote it, that he wept the day that he realized that the hippie movement had ended and the Jesus people movement corresponded with that right. church and the Jesus people movement floated a- away and we all cut our hair and we got jobs. We put on suits and ties and went into corporate, just like our parents did. We became our parents. And, and I would say, Paul, without Vietnam, I think my generation would have risen. I, I think we would have risen. I think we would have continued mm. on, With changing the way things are done. But we gave up after Vietnam. And unfortunately, your generation bears the brunt of that. And my children's generation, my grandchildren's generation, because although there are many boomers who have done great things, starting with Bill Gates, but by and large, we're the me, mine generation. I'm going to take mine and whatever happens after I'm gone, I don't worry about it because I won't be here. I really like the old proverb and I don't remember who said it that says it's a, it's a really honorable man who plants a tree knowing that he will never be able to sit and enjoy its shade during his lifetime. Those that do that, those types of things looking towards future generations are heroes. Yeah, I, My generation has not been very heroic.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I think you're right on with that. I, I think that had a big impact. The boomer generation were the first to realize our leaders aren't, we can't trust them. We can't trust our leaders. That, and that, that had to be a big impact. And, and in a lot of ways, I, I do blame the greatest generation. I think they came home from World War II thinking, yes. clearly we're righteous clearly we're God's people, look at how we're financially blessed, look at how we're militarily blessed, and we begin to believe everything we did was God-ordained, and we could invade any country and go to war against wherever, for whatever reason, and, and God would justify us, and we could mistreat any Middle Eastern country, and God would justify it. And, and so, yes, I do believe, and, and then how that interacted interpersonally, with I go back to my madman, madmen watching of yeah. Don Draper's kids. Yep. Get over it, kids. Be be tough like our generation was. We we beat the Japs. We beat Hitler. Um, why can't you be tougher and better and bigger and stronger and as good as us? I, I think all of that I, I think all of that absolutely left a mark on
1: you're you you're hundred percent right. Yeah. We beat Hitler. You stop wetting your bed yeah uh yeah you know, those kinds of things and and you're right about the the distrust of politicians nixon happened when i was in high school and we've seen behind the curtain we we had the curtain pulled back and no generation before this had the curtain pulled back the way that we did because okay so we have the internet now and it's instant and it has really it's wonderful, and it screwed some stuff up. But what really brought some things home was television. When we had that box in our homes, and especially when color TVs happen, I'll never forget when I was seven years old, my mom and dad went out and got the first color TV on the block, and kids used to come home and watch cartoons after school at my house. It was really cool. But we were that family that, that often had the TV on during dinner. And the news would be on and those images from Vietnam would come. And then all of the, yeah. And now you've got investigative reporters of a different ilk. You don't have Edward R. Murrow anymore. Now you've got Woodward and Bernstein doing what they do. And you got these guys doing what they do and we're finding stuff out as the curtain is pulled back. And so there was such a loss of hope in my generation. And we just gave up. Huh. Well, some of us did. Many of us did. There's still some of us that are still fighting for a better day.
0: Yeah. Somewhere along the line, though, that generation made a decision that, what does that look like? That culture is being overturned and we don't like it. So hell no, we won't go. And not understanding, I think as Christians, that that cultural overturn. Hebrews 12 says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what's of heaven will remain. Sometimes God is in the shaking. Sometimes God is in us being willing to humble ourselves and say, wow, Black Lives Matter. I'm a little uncomfortable with some of your speech, but maybe I'm supposed to hear something really hard here. And maybe if I listen to something that's pretty offensive to me. That maybe even seems a little anti-Christian. I may be able to be a part of healing our culture or somewhere that God is going in this season. That isn't exactly what I've always imagined he would be going towards.
1: I like the idea of things being shaken. Can I tell you a really quick God story? Yeah. This, I had a business years ago called stars on hold. I, I hired celebrities to answer the phones for businesses. Yeah. And so I had Betty White Florence Henderson, Rain Wilson from the office. I had a whole wow, love it. bunch of, and, and everybody was open to me. Everybody. I had, I had agencies calling me saying, pick names. We all want to be involved with you. It was a big deal. It was a radical. I felt that God had set aside this idea for me. Cause I couldn't believe that no one had ever thought of it before. Like when you called Walmart, it'd be, hi, thanks for calling Walmart. It's me, Betty White. And I literally got her into a studio and had her record stuff like that. And then I got this deal with CVS to do a test. And so I went and met with some investors in Pasadena because we were out of money. There were millions of dollars on the line. But everything was dependent upon that test being done with CVS. So as I leave their offices, my phone rings and it's CVS. Hey, Bob, we just had a meeting. It was all about you. Full speed ahead. And I'm thinking, Lord, look at how you're opening this door. Wow. And then CVS went silent. They stopped answering their phone. I couldn't get her on the phone. No answers to emails until one morning on a weekday morning, I am sitting here and I got an email from CVS saying, Hey, Bob, we're really sorry, but we have changed our minds. We are out of money. We are, we're, we're maybe going to go bankrupt. We might lose our house because I've put all of it in. I have pushed all my chips into the middle. And as I feel the first hint of water in my eyes, I hear my doorbell ring. I'm home alone. I go. And it's a gentleman that I, who I really love, who just stopped by because he needed me. Bob, can I talk to you? So I had to put Mm -hmm. it all aside. And I sat for two hours with this man. And then he, uh, he left, got in his car and drove away. I came back and just sat and stared at, the, scared at the, stared at the screen, and I typed it into Google. What next, Lord? I, he's so supernatural, by the way. Can I tell you that? Yeah. I typed into Google, what next, Lord? And what came up that day has never come up again, because what came up was Haggai chapter 2. And it says in that chapter, in a lit, what next, Lord? This scripture pops up on my screen. In a little while, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth. Wow. Both the sea and the dry land, and what is desired by nations will come. And then here's these words because I've just lost millions of dollars. The gold is mine, the silver is mine. And he says, The glory. Of your present house is going to eclipse the glory of your former house. And hey, Bob, in this place I will grant peace. So my weeping of sorrow turned into a a literal weeping of knowing that God saw me in a moment where I was really out of it. But he had to shake me, he shook me. Completely. Because that business never went. I, I still to this day don't know why it didn't, because it was the well big, It was the big idea. I said, but I really don't have any interest in getting into business with a billionaire who's going to be looking over my shoulder every five minutes wondering why I'm meeting with people, helping them connect dots. So Lord, if you really want to know my heart and you already do. I choose the lives you've given me over the money. This is how God works. And and so I like things being shaken because I've been shaken so hard in my life. If we embrace the shaking the way that I think that we should, because I think God is shaking the earth even right now with coronavirus and with Donald Trump and with all the things that we see. When we embrace the shaking, it, it, it's going to reveal character. It's going to it's going to forge character, as it were. And I'd like to think I'm a better human being, and a better believer in Jesus, and a better husband and father and friend, because I've been shaken.
0: Yeah, I think what what we saw at the in the Bible at the edge of the Jordan River is a generation allowing fear to be more a part of what their vision was than the opportunities that God wanted to take them to. And I think it's the exact same thing we're seeing in this generation, that fear of what could be if we don't vote for Donald Trump, if he doesn't keep our religious liberties in place, all of these things, rather than what could God do if we did this a different way? If, I still if, we think, allowed, if we allowed there to be another viewpoint and this to be shaken a little bit, what are the opportunities?
1: You're referring to that fear from the spies that were sent out. Mm-hmm. Two of 12 came back and said, we can do it. Right. We can take them. And Paul, I would say, it's no different today. It's two of 12. 10 out of every 12 believers are just willing to go along and they're too afraid. You got two out of 12. It's a really small number, Paul. And I don't say that to pat you and me on the back or anything else, or I'm right and, and everybody else is wrong. I'm just telling you what I see. Yep. I think that there is a very small percentage of believers who are in the pocket and are hearing God correctly. And I don't think their names match up with any of the leading prophetic voices that we're hearing today.
0: Yeah. And, and by the way, That older generation wanted to kill those two guys for saying we could go in. They did. They (laughs) tried to kill them, all because they
1: had faith that hey, they'll be our food. There, we'll take them, no
0: problem. Yeah, they were giving a competing narrative, and people didn't want to hear that competing narrative because you think think anybody wants to kill you, Paul? I hope not. I hope not too. (laughs) I mean, I I haven't received death threats yet, so.
1: I've received some pretty harsh things oh my gosh. privately, so, and I know you have too. From there, there really good friends, I've received nasty, from dear friends.
0: horrifying texts.
1: I've lost friends, Paul. Oh, yeah. Dear friends, I like to say it, yeah, I've got my one-hand friends, and these are the friends I can count on one hand. Right. You are among those, by the way, Paul. Right. Um, right. But there have been others that have been on this hand that aren't that aren't there anymore. And it wasn't my choice. It wasn't my choice. I don't want to walk away from friendship and my gosh, politics is going to divide us. Are you serious? But that's what it is.
0: Yeah. I I like though, you said I'm losing patience and we're going to have to wrap up here, but because what I keep hearing from people is like, how can we, both sides are bad. How can we blah, blah, blah. And I, I do think we're in a season where God is saying, I, I need you to pick a side. You don't get to be on the fence anymore. You're either there or there. Right. And ultimately my choice is not about Donald Trump. He's a manifestation of the problem. He's not the problem. Yeah. And, and the problem I see is our hope in our political passion which has led to this desire for power, is running a generation away from the gospel. It is, isn't it? It's chasing the millennial generation, not only away from the church, which is clear in the data, but having them question who Jesus is altogether and who God is. And some of that, again, I think is God shaking, and he's going to use that for an amazing purpose. But I think for the boomer generation, he's saying, come on, guys. Is this a hill I've asked you to die on at the expense of the gospel for Pete's sake? There it is.
1: I don't even I don't even have any anything to add to that, Paul. <laughs> That's that stands on its own, my friend.
0: There we go. There we go. I pray that we don't kill each other on election night.
1: Yeah, we didn't even get into what might happen from here, no. but yeah, yeah, your fears are the same as mine. I, and They're not fears like the spies had fear. I'm willing to go, but I shudder to think what's coming for my children and grandchildren based on where we are. Yep. Polarization is real, man.
0: I think there's, I just think there's a better way. I think Jesus displayed that serving, laying yourself down. That's where real power is. And that's where real transformation is. And so I'm hopeful that revelation will come but I'm just not sure it's going to come in this generation. Anybody that's in the next generation, the millennials and the Zers,
1: So you, our, you don't have
0: to you don't have to believe the way your grandparents do. Let me tell you. You don't.
1: And yeah, you know, my goal and I'm just me personally, I'll meet with people my age that want to sit down and have honest conversation, but my focus is young. Yeah. My focus is young. Those are people that are still I talk a lot about those eight stages of life from Eric Erickson and uh, from 21 to 40 is uh, you've got two choices. It's isolation or or, uh, intimacy. And I'm seeing a lot of young people choosing isolation these days when they should be choosing intimacy because that leads to good stuff in the next step. And so it's my job to help young people find intimacy rather than isolation.
0: Ah, That's good. That's good. And wouldn't that be good if the church wanted to do that?
1: Mm. (laughs) I love you, Paul Swearingen.
0: You too, man. Good chatting with you.
1: Always good. See you
0: soon.